Do you love watching sports highlights? Five Star, the world's first sports highlight rating app is here. Athletes and fans can share, view, and rate the best sports highlights between one and five stars. The app is comment-free and has athletes of all skill levels, even pros like Kylie O'Miller, Kyle Harrison, and the 2022 PLL MVP, Trevor Baptiste. Download Five Star Highlights to earn yours. We have a very special guest this week on the Quintessential Lacrosse Podcast, John Gordon, author, best-selling author, leadership speaker, motivational guy, uh, culture and teamwork expert, former lacrosse player at Cornell and Smithtown East, Long Island in the house. Smithtown, <laughs> Smithtown and Limbrook are very, very common, uh, very similar towns. You know, South Shore, one's Nassau, one's Suffolk. We're basically on the same railroad line growing up. But John, I tell you, uh, a year ago, we bumped into each other at Clemson and had a, had a wonderful walk. But o- over the last two weeks, twice now, in my coverage of college football, we had Oklahoma's coach Brent Venables mention you last week. I was at Texas. Steve, Sar- Steve Star- uh, Sarkeesian mentioned you. Uh, you. Your impact now is, is seems to be growing and growing. First of all, welcome in. And, and, and what are you doing with these college football teams that, that is so impactful? Hey, Quinn, great to be with you. And I'll always remember that walk together. Always looked up to you as a lacrosse player. So great to be with you. Great to talk to you. And that walk was amazing. So what am I doing with these programs? Well, for years now, ever since I started working with University of Georgia with Texas all the way back in 2009, 2010, speaking to teams, I've been speaking to college and pro sports teams, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, you name it, NBA, NFL, NHL. I speak to all these different teams. And now more than ever, it seems I'm getting busier and busier, busier with these, with these college teams. So this training camp, I spoke to Florida state. I spoke to Miami. I spoke to Texas A&M, Texas, OU, Clemson, University of South Florida, FAU. And I know I'm missing a couple of teams in there as well that I spoke to. So I was so busy speaking to all these teams, talking about leadership, talking about culture, teamwork, and and mindset. I just got back from the Chicago Bulls. And it was like indicative of the work that I do. First day, I spent time with the leadership of the Bulls all the way from you know, the president, the GM, uh, Billy Donovan, his staff, talking about leadership and culture, then all the way down to working with the team, talking about the importance of teamwork and mindset for the rest of the season, to have throughout the season. I love this stuff. Uh, you know, the, the best thing about my job, John, is, is I get to cover football, some wrestling, a little hockey, lacrosse. And so I get to see different teams, different cultures, different organizations, different leadership styles. Uh, different levels of excellence. And what you do, I just find fascinating. When it came, comes down to Texas, uh, Coach, Coach Sark is dealing with uh, a program that has historically had five-star talent, but not a five-star culture. Mm. And being there, they've got some terrific player leaders right now in Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, their two running backs. I, so I think the groundwork is there. I really liked what I saw. He said that, that you, you've uh, helped him install the we, not me mentality. Uh, what, what is that? What does that mean? And, and how, does a, how does a team become that we, not me? Well, that's a great question. Let me take you back to a few years ago. I wrote a book called The Power of a Positive Team. And after I wrote that book, I meet with Sean McVeigh. I also wrote You Win in the Locker Room First, which is about 
being selfless and the seven C's to building a winning team. Very similar things in the different books. But I meet with Sean McVay and we spent six hours talking about his culture, the values and what he wanted to build with the Rams. He's 30 years old. He had just gotten the job and now he set out to build his culture. And we are meeting, talking about the foundation. Like you're building a house. This is the house that you are gonna build. We, not me, became a huge part of that culture. He created a pyramid like John Wooden's pyramid, but it was simplified. And in the middle of that pyramid was we, not me. Okay, fast forward five years later, playoffs. They're playing the San Francisco 49ers last year. And there is Odell Beckham Jr. on the sideline yelling, we, not me. We, not me. The camera caught that. It was on video, a great clip. When I saw that, I thought, okay, that's the key right there. The culture had come to life in the players on the team. He had only joined the team in week 10, and here he was shouting a core principle. That means the leader is talking about it. It means the leadership staff, the coaches are talking about it. It means it's ingrained in the players, their philosophy, how they think, how they approach the game. It means everything. I said, they're going to win a Super Bowl right now because culture wins championships. Now you have to have talent and they had talent, but Sean will tell you, and I had Sean on my podcast, Sean Whitworth I've had on as well. They said, we were a we, not me team. We loved each other and we were focused on winning for each other more than ourselves. So then I go meet with Sark when Sark got the job at Texas and we sat down for a whole day. Again, same thing, talking about culture, talking about leadership. And it's not me to install something. It's us to figure out what is important to him. What does he want to build? What does he want to create? He had relationships, obviously, with Saban, working with Saban. Pete Carroll was fascinating meeting with him, learning from him based on these two leaders who are very different, very different in terms of styles. He works with both of them. Okay, Sark, what's important to you? What do you want your culture to be about? And that's what we sat down, talked about. And part of that, I guess he liked what I did with the Rams and with other teams talking about we, not me. And he installed it with them. And then I talked to the team about it when I'm invited to training camp. So now I'm speaking to the team. I'm reinforcing the value and the principle. And what I've learned, right, working with so many successful teams that have won championships, right? I've worked the Rams, the Dodgers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, all these various teams, the Miami Heat. I've learned with all these teams that and I've also worked with teams that haven't won, like the Jaguars, and spoke to them years ago. Right? I spoke to the Cleveland Browns a few years ago. That wasn't successful. I've learned that it always comes down to the leader driving the culture, the team then bring it to life, and it being reinforced. Because so often we talk about it in training camp, but it's not reinforced. And leaders like Sark, when they really focus on their culture, you start to see the fruit the more they invest in the root. And, and Sark will tell you that first year wasn't a huge culture year. This year, he spent so much time in the offseason on culture. And the more you do that, you start to see the fruits of that. Do you wither? Do you wither during the season? Or do you start to flourish and get stronger as it goes along? Fed up with the same old generic lacrosse clothing? Check out Hobo Lacks, the new up-and-coming lacrosse streetwear company, making even the dustiest of players look drippier than a chocolate sundae. Visit www.hobolax.com and use code QUINT to get 50% off your first purchase. That's Hobolax, H-O-B-O-L-A-X.com, and the code QUINT, Q-U-I-N-T, all caps, for 15% off your I first purchase. It, uh, last Saturday when Iowa State made a comeback, Texas answered. They didn't blink. They fought back. Uh, they, they maintained a, a really steady mindset throughout that game. It was a win of toughness, uh, a game where they were kind of vulnerable coming off that nice win against Oklahoma. 
you, you become really prolific in, in your books. The Power of Positive Team you mentioned, the Power of Positive Leadership as well. You, uh, you gave me coffee bean a year ago uh, after, after that walk. And I, I do want to go back to that walk because when I travel, John, for these college football games, it's, you know, 15 to 20 weeks in a row. Uh, it, can, it, come, it can become a little bit like uh, time to make the donuts in, in, in the routine. But I try to find something each week that gives me uh, lasting value. And, and that walk, I will tell you with you, was by far the most lasting value of any experience I had all of last year. Uh, the topics we, we, we discussed, uh, the, 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 the dust that you, you dusted off in my brain about being an athlete and, and uh, that the help you gave me in terms of performance, positive attitude. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Well, that was, yeah, that was a blast. I had a, a ball and, and that game was the Florida state game, right? That was yes. Florida state. So think about that. You are going up there. I'm going up there. We decided to go walk, uh, not together, just individually. And I saw you across the way. I said, I think that's Quint. I think that's good because I've been watching you on TV. I know you're a lacrosse guy and you, you've done such an amazing job with football and announcing. And I'm like, wow, he's really doing great in this career that you have. So I, I loved it. So I saw you, we started talking, but I'm up there to speak to the team the night before. They're four and three at the time. Clemson is four and three. I meet Dabo that Friday night uh, before speaking. And it turns out that Dabo is not negative. He's not complaining. I think he's going to be complaining, upset, down, we're four and three. Here's what Dabo says. I love these guys. I love where we are right now. He goes, I know these guys are learning so much. They're learning things right now that they would not learn if we were having a successful season. This is going to help them in the future. They're going to get stronger from this. I'm telling you, I love my quarterback. He's not complaining about DJ. I would think, you know, I meet a lot of coaches, man, my quarterback can't play. He's not good, blah, blah, blah. Dabo's like, man, I love my quarterback. He's going to play in the NFL one day. I'm like, Dabo, I don't see it. Like, I didn't see it last year. But here he is saying that, optimistic, positive. I saw real positive leadership right there, Quinn, talking to you and then seeing Dabo's leadership and how he showed up for his team. And then he spoke to the team. And then to see them win every game since, every game, that was positive leadership right there, exemplified as a leader going through a tough time. He said, John, when I'm winning, when we're winning every game like usual, I got texts a mile long on my phone. He goes, now I got three, my mother, my wife, and from you. <laughs> that's about it. And, and that's my job. I see it as when I work with coaches, I'm, I'm reaching out to them. I'm trying to encourage them during the year. They don't want to hear much from me. I'm not going to talk about X and O's, but I just want to encourage them. Brent Venables, after the loss, I love Brent Venables. I've known Brent since Clemson, one of the greatest guys on the planet. To see Texas you know, beat OU like that. It was hard for me because I was happy for Texas, but just so sad and so down for OU. That was a really, I hated that day. I did not enjoy that day at all watching two teams. I enjoy and two coaches. I really like play each other. That was the toughest part, but I knew Brent was going to respond in some, in some capacity. He's not going to give up. He's going to build his, his team. It's going to take him some time. He's going to have to get his guys in there He with his culture and eventually he will be successful, but he lost a lot of guys with, you know, with the previous coach Lincoln leaving. And now he's got to build his team and continue to develop them. But, but his character, his heart, one of the greatest I've ever seen. Going back to Dabo. Yeah. It, uh, at 12 and 0, I think I was more impressed with Dabo at four and three last year and the coaching job he did the power of their culture, pulling through a season that could have gone off the tracks. They ended up 
almost winning out, winning their bowl game, uh, quite an accomplishment. So I have to be impressed with the way he, he kept that, uh, the train on the tracks through some yeah. hard times. Uh, the ha- hammer, I'm going to ask you about your Cornell days. Not so, <laughs> not so much, not so much the playing there, but the writing of hard hat. Uh, if lacrosse fans don't know, you've written a book, uh, hard hat 21, George Boyardi, uh, that really, I think it encapsulates the, uh, ideals of that Cornell Big Red program. What, what's hard hat like for folks who haven't read it? Well, first, Quint, I'm glad you don't want to talk about my playing days because there would not be much to talk about. So I'm glad we don't <laughs> want to talk about that. Uh, had a great experience at Cornell. It changed my life. Richie Moran recruiting me there, a kid from Smithtown, blue collar family. My parents never made more than $40,000 a year combined. My dad was a New York City police officer. I go to Cornell, I got the gold chain, the tank top, I'm straight out of Long Island. I'm talking like this. We were not from Winbrook. Winbrook, you guys wore preppy clothes. I wore. No, I wore oh, come on, tops. man. <laughs> Maybe down by the Hewlett Harbor, yes, but not not where I grew up. And so, so I get there. My friends wore my regular clothes as their Halloween costumes. That's how bad it was. And but I learned about culture. I learned about teamwork. I learned about being part of something special. I learned about the Cornell family. And then George Boy already goes to Cornell. And as we know, he is picked to win the the hard hat to carry the hard hat as a freshman, which meant he was the most selfless, loyal, blue collar, hardworking athlete, selfless person on the team. So now he wins that hard hat award. He's he's chosen to pick it, which is a huge honor, huge accomplishment. And then fast forward, he's 22 years old. He's the captain of the team. They're playing Binghamton. He jumps in front of a shot and he gets hit in the chest with the ball and he dies on the field that night. Jim Case, who passed away of a heart attack just a few years ago. Jim Case was the trainer that ran out there. He was my trainer as well. And they couldn't revive him. And the team was obviously devastated. Their captain, their leader, shocked, never seen anything like that. George's parents were not there. And incredibly, incredibly, they, as a team, the next day, you know, they were, they were talking, should we continue to play the season or not? They didn't want to play. They wanted to give up. George's mom shows up with his dad. They, they came the next day. They fly in and they're all sitting around weeping in the locker room. And there's George's mom. Imagine the scene. And she's going around to each player one at a time, telling them how much George loved them and how they were just there for them. And they were going to get through this. Like the courage and the strength that she had losing her son to now give that back to the team was, was, was so special. Jeff Timroni, the coach of Penn State, was the coach at the time. Ben DeLuca was, was on that staff, coach at Delaware. Incredible people. Petromalo was the guy who actually, you know, came up with initially the, the hard hat idea. And so here now, they said, do we, do we want to play or not? They decided to play. But they said, we're not going to play to win for George. We're going to play to honor him. We're going to play to be like him. We're going to become teammates like him. We're going to be selfless. We're going to be loyal. We're going to be hardworking. We're going to take on his traits. And that's what they did. And ever since that time, they made, they made it to the quarterfinals that year. They did not have a talented team. They won so many tight games. They beat Princeton, who George was going to go to that school. George's dad went to that school. They won so many games. And so I wrote the hard hat about this team, the heart of a team, the heart of a leader. I wrote about the, the season, and I wrote about the lessons that we can learn from George, the 21 ways. He was number 21, the 21 ways to be a great teammate. Quinn, that book... And by the way, every dime goes to charity. 
of my profit, of my royalty. So I don't make a dime off this book. When I was writing it, I was going to give half of the proceeds to George's foundation, the Mario St. George Biority Foundation. And as I'm writing the book, and I learned about his selflessness, and I heard his stories. I never met George, but I'm listening to all his teammates and the kind of teammate he was, how he always sacrificed, how he drove freshmen home when they were struggling, how he always cleaned up the locker room every single day so the janitor didn't have to do it. He did it. He was the last guy to leave. He exemplified. Like, he was one of the great, I think, the greatest teammate I've ever heard of, ever seen. And then you see the impact you know, he had on his team. I write that book. I'm like, I can't make a dime off this, this guy's life. I mean, who he was, the character that he had. Guys to this day, Quint, live their lives based on him. They were literally 18, 19, 20. They're now in their 30s and they're living their lives based on him and the kind of person and the kind of teammate he was. He impacted me as a 47-year-old man writing this book about him. He made me a better person. He made me more selfless. So now all the proceeds go to his foundation and quit. People around the country in all sorts of sports, whether it's Pete Carroll who had it on his desk or Doc Rivers said it was his favorite book in the LA Times years ago when it first came out are now being impacted by George, by lacrosse, by the story, and ultimately the life. Now, I, I want to make this into a movie and, again, not make a dime from it, but unfortunately, I've talked to his parents and they do not want to uh, allow this to be made into a movie and I can't make it without their permission. And I'm very sad and disappointed about that because I think this movie would change countless lives. And, again, I wouldn't make a dime, but uh, for some reason, they are not for the idea of making it into a movie. I enjoyed listening to your interview with Kark, a U.S. Lacrosse Overtime podcast from last year about Cornell's culture being timeless, the bonds now that exist through generations, through decades of, of Cornell alums. Uh, Kark's at Temple on Friday night covering college football. I'll be at SMU, Cincy at noon. Anisha's stuck in Waco and Cotter's at Wake Forest. I, I want to ask you, do you watch Ted Lasso? I don't. I've watched maybe one or two episodes, but I have not watched all the other episodes. But everyone because says... They think like I'm a writer of the show. That, exactly. So I was going to say, I was going to say, do you, do you watch it or are you a writer of it? No, uh, I, I know that. I, I, I have fallen in love with it. I, I think you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Uh, one, one thing you talked about with, with Paul late in that podcast was, was playing free. And it's something that we discussed in our walk. And, you know, the, the mindset of playing free, not, not playing to expectations, not playing to parental pressure, to coaches pressure. And I, I think for the sport of lacrosse, that may be the ultimate key. As you said, there were moments when you played free and you played great. And I, I know that was the case for me. How do you instruct young people to play free? I think it goes back to looking at George and his life. You know, I spoke to the Cornell lacrosse team the other day, did a, did a Zoom with him. I said, you've got George Boyardi's locker still right there in your locker. The locker is still untouched. There it is. And you see that every single day. Let that be a reminder that life is short. We're all going to die. Life is truly temporary. So what matters most? To give everything you have in the moment, to love playing, to, to not allow fear to keep you from being the best that you can be. We, we have so many young people today and there's so much pressure on there. there. There's so much expectations for them and their lives and what school you're going to go to and what job you're going to go. Guess what? You're going to die one day. Memento mori, you will die. So how do you want to live and make the most of every moment and know that love casts out fear? So the minute you focus on loving playing and loving the moment and loving the opportunity, and guess what? Loving the competition. Quint, I was just at, at the Chicago Bulls and I'm talking to John Paxton. I remember John Paxton hitting a lot of those key shots. Yeah. Me how he played with Michael Jordan, said he was so fortunate to play with Michael. I said, hey, hey, John, 
Michael was fortunate to play with you. If you don't hit some of those shots, Michael doesn't have as many championships. He said, yeah, but here's the deal. He cared so much when he played and he competed in such a way that like when he played, he loved the competition and he wanted to beat you so bad. He wanted to win. And it, he wasn't scared of losing. People say, oh, he, he hated to lose. He loved to win more than he hated to lose. And it was the love of the competition that made him so great. And it's the love of the competition that will make you great. So don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the results. Just love the moment, love the competition. Like when you were a kid and love playing. And then usually what happens is that love that you have and less fear leads to a greater performance and a greater outcome. And it allows us to play free because what causes us to be cluttered? Stress, worry, anxiety, and a lot of thoughts. And the more thoughts you have, the more clutter you have, the less free you are. The more clarity you have, the more love you have, the more positive energy, the more focus. Guess what? You are enjoying the game a whole lot more. And the key is love creates clarity and fear creates clutter. It's that simple. We're peers. We grew up in an era. We were very lucky, I believe. Town-based rec programs, multi-sport athletes in high school. I played a bunch. You played you know, football, basketball, lacrosse. I, I want to get your feelings on this club lacrosse situation where, where athletes are competing for their high school, but also playing for club, which seems now to maybe be more important in terms of their future. H how can club teams, these are teams, let's say on Long Island, that gather players from different towns and they practice once or twice a week and they play all summer long. How can a club lax team, how can a club lacrosse team develop a culture? Uh, what is the right culture? given the parameters of, of that being kind of a, a non-school, non-school team. Did, do you understand what I'm saying? And totally. what I'm asking? Oh, totally. Yeah. And it, it's I, very I, different because, you know, we grew up with our teachers were our coaches, our friends were our teammates. Club is very different. It's, and it's the same thing though. It's like, okay, we have this culture every year. Pete Carroll is showing up and he has a new team and he has to install his culture of who they are. Dabo Sweeney with Clemson, a new team every year. He's got guys coming in. He has a culture. So new guys, but guess what? Same culture. And he has a book that's like 18 inches thick that represents his culture. And he shares it with all of his leadership team for four full days. They talk about the culture for four full days of how they got there, why they do what they do, and who they are. And that's the case. So with a club, you have to decide, why do we exist? It all starts with our why, our purpose, why do we exist? What are we here to do? And what is our vision? And hopefully the club should say, our why is these players. And it's here to develop them, to help them be their best and help them grow and perform and then go to great colleges because club exists obviously as a training ground or as a showcase for colleges. We can't ignore that. that I would like it to be different, but that is the reality of it. So uh, while you're here, we're going to develop you, help you grow, invest in you, create a great team environment for you, infuse you with support, love, accountability. We're going to challenge you. But along the way, we know that our goal is to help you be better and then get to a great college. And if everyone would focus on it's the kid and it's about them and, and making the best decisions for them, that club is going to thrive and those kids will thrive. The problem is when we get clubs that are focused on the club owner and they're focused on the money. And they're focusing on how many tournaments they can do and what money they can make and having too many kids where kids don't play enough and they can't get the showcase that they need. I've experienced this as a daughter who played club lacrosse. I know what's good and I know what's bad. So again, go back to your why, 
And any great leader who knows their why, knows their purpose and lives with that vision and purpose will, will do a great job. So it always goes back to the club owner. Are you selfless or selfish? Are you about the kids or are you about yourself? What's your why? A super answer, John. Uh, one thing I've encountered over the last couple of weeks in college football is the tide is changing. This new environment with the transfer portal and NIL. I think it's shifted the power uh, or, or, or shifted freedom to the player. And, and, I, and I think the reaction from coaches is that they're understanding that they have to create a stable and happy environment or their players will just leave. Uh, what do you think is important in terms of leadership in this new dynamic where NIL exists and the transfer portal, I can hit the, the eject button anytime I want? Well, with freedom comes responsibility. And so you have freedom, but then you have responsibility and your responsibility as a player is to be your best every single day and to show up and give everything you have to the program and to yourself. And what I've learned quite is, and you know, this is an athlete, when you help others improve, you improve. When you help the team get better, you get better. So in a world that says, focus on me and the transfer portal could do that, we're at our best, we focus on we. So what is your goal as a player? Is it to be part of a great team? Is it just to make as much money as you can with nil? Is it to grow to play pro one day? What is it? And you have to identify that as a player as well. But, but the thing is, you just said happy, positive environment. Yes, but that doesn't mean we're not going to challenge you. That doesn't mean we're not going to hold you accountable. You go to Clemson, he's going to love you, but they're going to hold you accountable. Nil makes culture even more important. And the kind of culture that is real, transparent, and coaches that are engaged and invested in their players. So I don't believe people leave managers, CEOs, and coaches who care about them. They leave managers and bosses who are jerks. They leave people who are not investing in them. Very rarely, and research shows this, does someone leave for more money or just a little bit more money? Very rarely. Maybe a lot more, yes, but a lot of times we've seen in pro sports, they leave and they're miserable. They leave and it's not the best thing for their career. I could have made a lot more money as a writer going with other publishers. I stayed with my publisher because they believed in me from the very beginning. And that was a very wise decision. 26 books later, I'm now having more impact by being with the right publisher staying there. So again, I think there's more freedom, but because of that, you could actually make bad choices as a player and leave too soon and go somewhere else. Don't go because you think the grass is greener. Go because you truly know, you truly know you're not meant to be where you are. And your job is to give everything you have exhaust every possibility to be your best. And if you're doing that, but you got a culture that's bad, you got a coach that's a jerk, you got a coach that's not leading the right way, well, again, then you leave. But if you can grow in that environment and you can develop in that environment, then, then you really should stay. And I don't want to see people leave too soon. I want people, I want, if a guy has a chance to go to a, and he knows he's going to start and he knows he's going to be an NFL court, Chase, Chase Bryce goes to, you know, he's at App State. Okay, that's a great fit for him, right? He's able to start, showcase his talents, showcase his abilities. That is a good decision. Kelly Bryant leaving wasn't a wise decision to leave Clemson at the time years ago. So each, each kid's going to have to make their decision, but, but, but stay and become your best in that environment. And culture is now more important than ever. People think it's less important. It gives more power to the player, but it makes culture even more important. John, some of your best books, uh, Energy Bus, Coffee Bean, and The Carpenter. I want to finish up with a question about being a teammate. Uh, I wasn't the greatest teammate in college. Uh, I think I've become a really good teammate now in my, in my professional life because of that. Uh, what do you think are, are five keys to being a better teammate at work, at home, 
uh, and, and for athletes. You know, I wasn't a great teammate either. When I, we, t- we talked about that in our walk, I, I could have been so much better. And I'm a much better teammate now as a result of that too. I look back and I wish I would have done things different. Like I was a hard worker. I was a blue collar, you know, get yeah. everything you got guy, but it was about me. It wasn't about for my team. I was never thinking about others. I was thinking about me. Quinn, we're in the, we're in the ocean of Long Island this summer. I, I, after speaking to all those teams in August, busiest time ever. And I'm in the ocean with my wife and the sharks were in Long Island a lot this summer off the coast and there were bites happening. So they're like, be careful, be careful. We're out there. And all of a sudden the, the whistle blows and they go, get in, get in. And you think a shark's literally right next to you. And I just start swimming as fast as I could, not even concerned about my wife <laughs> next to me. <laughs> and, 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 and I got there. She's like, you still even move me out of the way. I just swam in. And she goes, I saw you swimming in. I started swimming in fast too. And we laughed about it. You know, at first I felt really bad. I go, okay, I will never do that ever again. I will take the bite for you next time, whatever it takes. I was not, I was not a great husband in that moment. I was not a great teammate in that moment. Why? I was focused on me, not her. I wasn't being selfish. My fear in that moment was so great of being bit by a shark. Because I just told her, my greatest fear in life is to get bit by a shark. And then they blow the whistle. My fear was so great that I wasn't living for her. I was living for myself. I feel bad about that. I really do to this day. I go, okay, I'm going to spend the rest of my life taking hits for you along the way. So what does it mean to be a great teammate at work, in school, in sports? It means, it means we, not me. I'm going to put others first before me. It means that I'm going to take the time to communicate with my team on a daily basis. I'm going to make sure I communicate. And improving your communication is a great way to improve you as a leader and as a teammate. I'm going to take the time to connect one-on-one, even if it's just five minutes where we truly connect and I get to hear your story, I get to know you, I'm there for you. Connection is where you earn that bond of trust, right? And then it's commitment. I am committed to you and commitment recognizes commitment. We know and love the Navy SEALs and people in the military because they commit and they sacrifice for others. Guess what? Commitment will always cost you something. It's going to cost you time and energy. I have become a a great father because I'm committed to my kids. I've become a great husband because I'm committed to my wife. But I wasn't always that way. Early in my marriage, I was a jerk. And Relationship Grit, our book that we wrote together, my wife and I, all about that. And I was a jerk. I was, again, all my issues came up. And then I had to learn to become a better man. So I had to learn how to commit to others and not put myself first. And then finally, a great teammate shows that they care. And that's what George always did as a great teammate with Cornell. He just always showed that he cared about people and cared about his team. And it doesn't have to be the big thing that shows you care. It's, it's the little things along the way. I know these sound simple, but these are four C's. Communicate, connect, commit, care. We, not me, being selfless instead of selfish and always look to make the team better. And then finally, I would add, I mean, that's more than five, but, but love and accountability. Like be a love tough teammate. Not a tough love, love tough. Here's the difference. Love must come first. And if your team knows you care about them, you earn the right to challenge them. Too often we lead with tough love. We don't build the relationship first. So guess what? No one wants to listen to what you have to say. And Andy Stanley said it best. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. You can have all these rules, but if you don't have a relationship, you're going to have rebellion on the team. You need both. Awesome stuff, John. Really appreciate it. For folks, uh, Again, I recommend listening to Kark's podcast on U.S. lacrosse uh, overtime from last year. It's a full hour. It's 
good background about you playing basketball and football and your origins with Cornell. Uh, I know you got a busy schedule. Really appreciate this time, John. Loved seeing you last year. I hope we bounce into each other again this year over the second half of this college football season. Hey, Quinn, going to be exciting. Can't wait to watch you, watch you guys every game. And you have become a great teammate. You guys are a great team. You can tell you're having fun together. And your broadcast crew is, is a great team. You genuinely like each other. And you can tell like it shines when you watch your games that you guys are covering. Thank you, John. Yeah, no, uh, that, that's how I feel. I really feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm that short stick D midi and we got, we got a, a star and we, and we got a, a great face off man. And, and uh, we're having fun with it. That's awesome. Well, hopefully they hear this and uh, they'll, they'll know how much we, we appreciate them too. Thanks, John. Thanks, really Chris. appreciate it. Love hey, you. I'm, thank I'm thankful I went to Cornell, you know, it changed my life. And, and I got to just give a nod real quick to Richie Moran because uh, yeah. he passed away six months ago. And a lot of people don't may not know he passed away, but Richie Moran passed away. And the last thing he said to me was teammates are forever. Let's remember that teammates are forever.